Hey, welcome back, everybody. Scott Roussel, Football Scoop Podcast. I think this is episode three, and uh, I'm extremely excited today to be joined once again by Zach Barnett and John Bryce, our two uh, our two lead stud writers. Uh, welcome, guys. How y'all doing? Great. Glad to uh, glad to keep this rolling. I think we're going to continue to grow the podcast and provide uh, hopefully a good listening opportunity with uh, timely offerings throughout the season. Yeah, it was. Uh... 75 degrees when I walked the dogs this morning. It felt like fall. It's amazing. I, I said the same thing. I was, I'm in Louisiana. I, I was like, wow, it feels delightful this morning. Uh, yes. So if you live anywhere else, yeah, it's better. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're pretty fall like here in South Bend. So um, we were maybe down in the 60s last night. So I'll, I'll take that. Good, crisp, cool air. I would think yeah, we're months away from the 60s here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll tell you guys, I got tremendous feedback from a bunch of guys, uh, different fronts uh, from. Uh, a couple of athletic directors, which is pretty cool. Uh, obviously, a bunch of football coaches and some agents and uh, just some some other friends and fans. Uh, so the first couple were well-received. I'm excited to be doing more of these. What I really want to do with these podcasts is really go deeper than we can go on the website. Um, you know, I know, for example, today I really want to talk about one topic. And it's it's UConn. It's the first one to open. Uh, I know, Zach, you brought it up already on, on the website. We talked about it, but reset the situation for us, and then maybe we can all dive in with our thoughts. Yeah, so uh, the UConn left the American a few years ago. They're now an FBS independent. Uh, this is actually 2020 was going to be their first season as an independent. They ended up not playing. So this is their first season as an independent. They have a national TV deal. Um, the reporting I found on it says that pays them $500,000 a year total uh, for all UConn home games on CBS Sports Network. So Basically, they're playing for free in terms of TV dollars. They do not have a bowl game. They have no contract with a bowl game. Not that they're going to go anywhere this year anyways, but they have no postseason opportunities. So that leads me to the big question, what are you playing for? Why does this program exist? What function does it serve for the university? Where does it fit within the college football hierarchy? Uh, obviously, the, the team this year is terrible. They're going to hit the reset button. But I think this is the perfect opportunity for UConn leadership to spend weeks, months asking themselves honestly, where is this program going? Why are we asking student athletes to, to give us the best four years of their lives, the one opportunity they have to play college football? Why should they do it at UConn? We're going to go out and hire a new staff. Why should they come here? What do we have to offer? Where do what purpose does UConn football serve? So I think they should consider going FCS. Uh, they'd be a better geographic fit there, probably a better competitive fit. They were con uh, competitive at that level before. I'm not saying they should. Maybe the answer is to remain in FBS, remain an independent. If that's, if that's the answer that they come up with, fine. But whatever they do, they need to create some sort of postseason opportunity first of all no one wants to just play out the string of a regular season and then have that be that but they need to go after whatever you know whatever place they have they need to provide the resources for the next staff to see to succeed and give their kids a, a purpose a a reason to play for yukon other than a free ride all right zach remind the the audience why are they an independent currently in football? So they obviously, uh, UConn's a basketball school. That's just nothing, nothing wrong with that. They're a basketball school. They were very happy in the old Big East. Uh, that split 
obviously when, when the the football version of the Big East died and became the American, uh, the the basketball schools, your your uh, Villanovas, your Georgetowns, they got the Big East branding. And so UConn decided they'd rather be in a basketball conference and play in the Big East, which is where their basketball schools are. And so the Americans said, if you want to do that, that's fine, but you're not going to keep your football program here and just be a football school. So they went and then they left in, they went independent. So their, uh, their basketball schools are in their proper home. Uh, but that they decided the cost of that was orphaning their football program. And they, they decided that was worth it and good for them. But now their, their football program last lacks any sort of purpose or direction. Zach, I think you bring up a lot of great points. And, and frankly, the questions you just posed are questions that coaches have already texted me this week in, in the wake of the news about Randy Edsel first stepping down at season's end and then stepping down immediately. Um, I think I've got multiple texts that have said, quote, they got to decide what they're going to do or they've got to decide what they want to do. And I think that's the that's the huge issue. UConn um, was a trendy enough team a few years ago and had had enough success under Edsel the first time around that they scheduled some SEC teams, multiple SEC teams. And, of course, they've got Vanderbilt coming up in a, in a few weeks and again in a must-not-watch game. And so I think that um, they really have to decide. I, the FCS option is an interesting one, but it's in such a high-population area. They should be able to fill a D1 roster at the FBS level and be competitive. Money is a real issue there. When you talk to anybody, money is a real issue there, athletic department wide. And um, they've had a few years. They, the COVID impact was significant on UConn because of what it did to UConn women's basketball. Because UConn women's basketball is one of the few women's programs in the country that consistently turns a profit. And that's a big part of their athletics department budget and uh, along with what Danny Hurley has done with the men's basketball program. So they've got some issues there. And they're going to, whoever heads this search for UConn is going to have to be prepared to answer all the same questions we've just talked about because it's the questions we're already getting. Yeah, I think uh, you bring the money is obviously uh, driving a lot of this. I think they're going to make uh, $2 million for a game at Ohio State here coming up in 2024, I think it is. Uh, they've got some more guarantee games coming up. So if they're an FCS team, they're not going to be as marketable and uh, to to the Ohio States and the Tennessees of the world, programs like that. So to give away that money that they're most certainly counting on is going to be tough. I mean, my friend uh, Matt Brown writes the Exit Points newsletter. He says, you know, it, it's easy for an FCS for us to sit here and say, oh, you should go FCS. But the the benefits of going FCS pay off years down the road. But the the drawbacks, you you got to pay that bill immediately in terms of um, less money, less TV money, less buy game money, stuff like that. But, you know, when Kansas opened, I thought, you know, that, that's there's going to be a lot of people excited about that job. I can see the appeal of that job as bad as that program is. There's a, there's a, a roadmap there to be successful. If I'm an agent and uh, of, uh, my clients are on the upswing in their career, I don't know that I'd advise them to take the UConn job without some pretty big answers from the administration. Scott? Some, somebody texted me right when this came out. Somebody texted me and said, 
Rhett Lashley with a question mark. I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, Rhett, obviously, you know, Miami versus Alabama didn't go real well. But prior to that, Rhett was considered like one of the hottest guys in the country. And he still is. He's a great guy. And yeah, he coached there for a little bit. But Rhett is not going to UConn. Hmm. I mean, come on. Come on. Anyway. I got it. I got a Rhett Lashley text, so I, I wasn't going to name drop any until you did. And so I got that same text and, and no, like you might get a Northeastern FCS coach on the rise who already has some, some built-in advantages there with his contacts to the region. But otherwise, I think you have to look long and hard about what you can expect to find in your candidates and who you can expect to attract and um to zach's point i think the candidate pool at kansas ended up really nice and i don't know that we'll see that depth whatsoever for a yukon candidate pool especially with so many unanswered questions yeah so i i agree with you guys on all fronts i think they have to answer the questions right they have to sit plant the flag and say this is what we want to be um and it has to be believable and they have to have a roadmap because every coach, every agent is going to want to understand that. Uh, I would tell you guys, you know, I, I've been doing this a long time. I know you guys have been doing this a long time. Um, I wouldn't rule a lot of people out. I think the interest is always there until they really get to the table to really understand how, how deep the issues are. Uh, so I suspect, like, for example, you know, early on, uh, the whole less miles thing was going in a, in a bad direction. And a friend said, you know, Dan Lanning might be a great guy for Kansas. I was like, Dan Lanning, are you crazy? Well, uh, make some phone calls. It turns out Dan, you know, Dan was willing to listen. Uh, great opportunity back home, uh, a special place. So, you know, you, you just, you got to get deep and to really understand what's driving people in certain things. Uh, so I wouldn't rule a lot of people out this early on. Uh, but I think, the guys who are high flying, the Red Lashleys, this this isn't them. Um, I would I would also point out the the flip side of that is what we've seen um, a Billy Napier do in recent years. Guys are starting to choose more quality of life, in my opinion, over quality or size of the paycheck, and they're making great livings. Uh, in Napier's example, Louisiana has committed unprecedented. Um, salary pool not only for him as the head man but for the entire rest of the staff as well and i've talked to a number of coaches who are just like bro i'm telling you man the top job is not always worth it and i think that that's a mindset that is increasing especially as college athletics which is already very very difficult becomes even more and more nuanced with name and image likeness with now this latest round of realignment and expansion and what is the next step and and things that we all don't know what the answers to those questions are I think are impacting guys and making them at least appreciate their current setups and take a deeper look before immediately just looking for um, the next patch of green grass yeah I completely agree with you you know 10 years ago those assistants and even you know mid-level guys were making in in the you know, 70s, 80s, $90,000. Now these assistants who are doing really well, um, you know, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the SEC. I'm just talking about general lay of the land. These guys are making 125, 170, 230, 250, and their wives are pretty happy 
at that life. And those kids are thrilled, right? They, they right. couldn't, as long as their wife is happy and their kids are taken care of, they're, they're very, they just love coaching ball. Most of these guys, the ones that you want to hire, they just love coaching ball. Um, and they're making a couple hundred thousand dollars where they are. It's going to take something to move them. And UConn, eesh, eesh. I'll tell you a very interesting thing. Actually, a guy was texting me this morning. He said, I, he said, Scott, I don't know who UConn winds up hiring, but I'll tell you what they have to hire is they have to hire a staff, assistant coaches who can develop players because they're not going to get the five stars, right? They're not going to win the massive recruiting battles. But the guys they get, our guys, they get our guys, they've got to develop them. They're recruiting some really good kids. They're not developing them currently. So you got to get a staff in there. And I'm not that the head guy. The head guy's there for potentially a different reason. But the staff that works them on a day-to-day basis, they have got to develop these kids. And that's what it's going to take to be a winner at UConn, I think. Yeah, that clip that went viral uh, from this past game, the Holy Cross game, you know, you hate to judge an entire program by a, a second and a half uh, clip that ends up on Twitter. But, I mean, same time, I mean, that said it all. The defensive coordinator puts his hand up. All right, guys, let's go get this stuff. And just nobody raises their hand. I mean, that – that's culture right there. That's an overused term in, in college football, but that's it right there. You put your hand in, and, I mean, that's sports law. Coach puts his hands up, everybody, and we're going to go in there, accomplish this mission right here, win this play, and just no one was into it. So that right there, I, I think Edsel moving on when he right now makes sense. Cause, but, I mean, that program needs a, a total flush of everything, and, yeah, it needs guys that can – assistant coaches that can develop players. And and when you see that lack of engagement and that um, just ambivalence to what is a rite of passage on sidelines every Friday night at, at the high school level, peewee sidelines all the way to Saturdays and Sundays, you wonder what that says big picture about just what the culture is campus-wide. I think that's a, a fair question to ask when you see that so glaringly displayed with such just complete disinterest in the middle of things, I bet you would you could talk to some UConn players and they would have a number of issues to raise um, about where they feel the commitment level is to them, to the program, any number of things. I know we don't want to overblow up a 10-second clip or whatever it was, but sometimes those candid moments – are pretty revealing. And, and I think that's what we saw in that situation. And um, to, to Scott's point about having to get in a staff that will develop players and that makes a lot of sense, that once again means you need UConn leadership out there selling a vision to the next head coach. And I think selling that vision to the public sooner rather than later and outlining that they're going to have a roadmap back to success, not just a roadmap to find a new coach, but a path once they find the new coach to keep moving forward with that. And I think they've got to be very transparent in, in talking about development and talking about the big picture of getting UConn back to a point, not just getting Utah, UConn back to a point where it has a new coach. Yeah, I mean, football is such a hard sport. I mean, you're at it close to 365 days a year. You're punishing your body year round to get 12 opportunities to go play. And Obviously, some of those are going to go your way, some aren't. But it's not like they were getting blown out by Holy Cross. They, I think the final score of that game was 38-28. They weren't down 50 nothing. And to be that lethargic, that apathetic about the 12 opportunities you get, 
it it, it capsulizes uh, it encapsulates uh, the thesis of my whole column and my spiel to start. It's like, what are we doing here? What's the purpose? Why are we? Why am I a husky? What are we trying to accomplish? That has to get answered, and then everything else will flow from there. If they if they go FCS, I think all bets are off. I, I wouldn't have the slightest idea. It, it, I would have to recalibrate my brain to think through. Okay, who's the right person? Let's let's assume. They stay FBS, right? Yeah, and I think that's the most likely anyways. Yeah, let's assume they stay FBS and let's hope they have a plan to get in alignment with someone. Hate to use that term, but, you know, it, staying in independence is just not a great idea. Um, so if they have a path towards success and they can demonstrate, hey, new coach that we're trying to attract, we think there's a way to rebuild this thing. What is what does that new head coach look like, in your opinion? That's a great question. I mean, I, I looked it up while we were talking. Edsel made one point two five million this year, which is honestly better than I thought. So, uh, I mean, to get someone at that, I, I when I picture the next UConn head coach, I picture someone that's been a head coach before. That's probably a head coach right now. That's gone in and. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be against a, a raw, raw guy, someone that can get people excited to walk in the door every day. Because, I mean, not to over harp on that clip, but that no one's excited it, from what we've seen to be a Husky football and to put on Husky gear. Someone that can get people excited to walk in the door, I think, solves most of your problems right there. And then a, a staff of developers under him as well. So Mac head coach successful FCS head coach, uh, someone from the CAA, someone that knows that area and someone who knows how to lead a program. That That's the first path that my feet are walking down. Yeah, I, I think it needs to be a combination of, of a guy who's led a program somewhere probably. I know that a lot of times, and this podcast shows, we've, all, we've already heard from other coaches about, well, what about Rhett Lashley? Well, look like he's going to have opportunities but every situation is different and i think in this situation yukon's going to desperately need somebody who has led a program before or is leading a program at some level right now and then somebody that has tremendous energy and a vision that he's comfortable sharing very passionately to their constituency and then he can put together a staff of people that develop. It's got to be somebody uh, willing to recruit up and down the seaboard and try to steal some players outside of their immediate geographic area. Um, can get to the Yukon campus pretty quickly on any point uh, of the eastern coast via flight. And um, it's a really quick flight. So I think that can potentially open up a greater re recruiting territory for the next UConn head coach. Could a guy like Larry Porter, who has experience, who has worked his way back up, who Mac Brown has now hired twice, could he be a guy that could be a fit there? He's a great recruiter. You've got coaches around the country that I've talked to this preseason that have talked about wanting to line up to work for Larry Porter if he gets a chance to be a head coach again. I think that's um, that, to me, is, is the type of candidate that would make a lot of sense. A coach that's been a head coach before, that could be potentially eager for that second chance because the first time around didn't go so well, and then who has grown his skill set and added to his toolbox in the time since he was last a head coach. 
The, I think the player personnel director is going to be a key hire for whoever's the next UConn head coach because they need to be working the transfer portal very hard for one, an influx of talent, but two, I'm going after veteran guys that played at successful programs. And I'm not, not even talking the Alabamas and the Georgias. Conference champions up and down, uh, up and down the FBS, FCS roster. Guys that know what it's like, know what winning football is like, know what it's like to be excited to show up to play. I need guys like that to help me change change the culture within the program. I'll tell you, I uh, I was just going to bring transfer portal up. Also, what I suspect they're going to do is they're going to bring in a guy who has is a proven winner, somebody who has won. Uh, somebody who's going to bring energy, charisma, bring some excitement back. I think they have to just completely change the culture because culture has no excitement, has no juice, um, at least outwardly. I think they're going to bring in somebody uh, who can come in and sell a vision, who's going to bring players. I think the transfer portal allows him to bring players that he knows. Um, if he doesn't know them already, he's going to bring transfer portal. Um, so I think that's – recruiting is always the long-term answer. In this world, I think transfer portal is going to be a, a quick fix. Um, I'll tell you, a couple of guys come to mind. A couple of, I would say, traditional guys come to mind. Uh, Kurt Signetti, Danny Rocco. Uh, I think they both come to mind and could be a nice step up. FCS, to FBS, uh, both been at higher levels. They know how to do it. Um, I think guys like that, I'm going to butcher his last name, but Joe... Harris Miak. Yeah. Thank you very much. I, I don't yeah, think I'm back. saying that right either, but yeah. Who, uh, you know, he did exceedingly well at Maine, done very well at Minnesota as well. Uh, had, had an odd transition out of Maine. Uh, it's something, something to be aware of, but he's, he's a high energy guy. Uh, people really like working with him, which is a good thing. Uh, I think there's a couple of other really unusual ideas. I mentioned the other day, I think Kevin Kelly, you know, something like that. It's a reason to watch UConn football, right? So if Kevin Kelly or something like that, I don't want to use the term gimmick, but somebody who's known like, oh, that that would be interesting to see him in our conference. Uh, somebody who does something a little different. So Kevin Kelly could bring some excitement. I'll tell you the other one that I don't think you want to rule out is – a guy who's been in college before, who's up in the Northeast in the NFL, who's looking to get back to college. <laughs> John Bryce, don't have a hard attack when I say this, but I have no, I have no intel on this at all. I'm just saying, for example, Derek Dooley did it at Louisiana Tech, right? Again, hear me out. He did it at Louisiana Tech. It's kind of analogous to UConn. I mean, it's not, but it is, right? They had no money. He did it with no resources. Um, pulled together staff that developed certain kids and they won. Uh, Derek, obviously, you know, is, is he, he just, he thrives in a college environment. He does. Um, you know, the, the Cowboys and the Giants are one thing. He went to Missouri and he did pretty darn well. Um, you know, something like that, a, a name, a, a, an energy guy. <laughs> you know, don't laugh me off the stage. But I, I think they're going to go a positive, high-energy guy. He's got to bring in uh, guys who can develop and who understand the transfer portal. That's what I think the key to success is. Agree. I don't think Derek Dooley is insane for UConn. I don't at all. Hey, guys. 
Hey guys, I covered <laughs> Derek Dooley. Hey guys, he'll be giving UConn lessons about General Rommel like he did the uh, the UT media. So I think JV, you I can move Derek to Connecticut. Yeah. You can move up there and cover him. That's a no from me, dog. Think about it. If, if the Bryces relocate from South Bend, it's going to be Westward Ho. So, um, yeah. It's, I guess since Dooley had those orange pants at uh, UT that were a sideline staple of his game day attire, he could put on some uh, nice blue slacks, uh, some really Yukon blue slacks, and and patrol the sidelines there in stores. But um that's that. That's a curious name. I I guarantee you, I know from uh, having spoken to some of Derek's family through the years and some other people in and around him. He has learned a lot. And let's remember, look, he he ran it off the rails at Tennessee for different reasons. He learned some lessons too late, but he did learn them. Let's remember that first staff that he had. Um, he had Terry Joseph and Justin Wilcox on his defensive staff. That's pretty freaking good defensive staff and and Jim Chaney back when Jim Chaney still had a really good fastball. So, well said, guys. I don't want to keep us too long. Uh, that was great insight. What I'd like for us to do is a few weeks from now, as we know more about the situation, uh, I might reach out to the administration, talk with them a little bit, and see what I can share. You know, off back from them. Um, and see where the coaches and the agents see this thing heading. Maybe when we have a little bit more direction, get back on here, share a little bit more with the, with our audience. Any closing words, guys? No, it's another, uh, just for me, it's another exciting weekend of college football. Is this the year that Matt Campbell and Iowa State beat Iowa? I think, I, I mean, that's a huge question. It'll be even larger if it doesn't happen this weekend. Cowboys Bucks tonight. I asked my boys who they were rooting for, and they both said the Bucks and that the Cowboys are trash. So, oh, oh, I'm raising front runners in my house. Winners, wow. I'm raising winners. Yeah, that, 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 that doesn't even feel good. I'll, my last <laughs> word will be: I'm totally on board with Zach Barnett on the Twitter. Zach, like, wear your school colors in big games. Heck, yes. Yeah, it's a big weekend with. Uh, 20 years after 9-11. And I know that plays into a lot of decisions this weekend, but uh, it would be nice to see the school colors. So I'm with you. Yeah, stop wearing black for all your big games, Iowa State. Your cardinal, burgundy, and yellow. Those are great football colors. Wear those. Amen. Hope everybody has a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us on the Football Scoop Podcast. We'll uh, do this again soon.